Please join me in your Bibles in the book of Revelation. Uh, Today we're going to be reading Revelation chapter 3. You can find it on page 1029 in your pew Bibles. And the song that we just sang is really a perfect segue into the sermon. This morning's sermon is a call from Jesus Christ to his church telling them to arise. Uh, The catch is uh, that the church that he's speaking to already thinks they're standing up. Uh, they, they think they are standing for Christ already, but Jesus tells the church, actually, no, you're not. You need to arise. You need to arise because you're not already doing that. Our sermon today is all about truth in advertising. Jesus is calling for a genuine church whose internal spiritual health is in step with its external reputation. And we don't have to look far in our world to see all kinds of things that fall short of being genuine. A sugary cereal that claims to boost kids' attention by 20%. A pair of shoes that promises muscle toning and weight loss just by wearing them and walking around, an all-natural smoothie that was actually chock-full of engineered artificial ingredients. And perhaps my favorite of these examples uh, is from the the brand Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. Uh, A few years ago, Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey started selling smaller bottles of their product found in grocery stores across America. They were labeled Fireball Cinnamon. They had the same logo, the same shape, the same color of the the beverage inside. They promised a malt beverage with natural whiskey and other flavors. Uh, The only problem was there was no whiskey at all inside those little bottles. Uh, There was not a drop of whiskey in the bottles that looked like whiskey said they had whiskey in it, so that led to many disgruntled customers and a class action lawsuit. Now here's the lesson from that. The content on the inside needs to match the name on the outside. The content on the inside needs to match the name on the outside. That's what the church and Sardis needed to hear. And we need to hear that too. The uh, scholar, theologian Vern Poitras says this, this lesson is devastatingly relevant for us. Groups can bear the name of a church and have a certain reputation when it is doubtful that they are true churches at all. The essence of a church is not its programs, buildings, past achievements, reputation, institutional greatness, or formal doctrinal correctness, but its spiritual life. Its spiritual life is the essence of a church. The content on the inside needs to match the name on the outside. That's a genuine church. And in this passage, Jesus tells us 
how to become one. So let's turn our attention to the Word of God and hear Jesus calling us to wake up and arise. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this uh, trumpet blast of a, of a call. Uh, it shakes us to the core. It calls us to integrity, authenticity, to be genuine in our faith and our convictions. Lord, we pray that you would add to the reading and preaching of your word your power and your spirit. Would your spirit speak to us all? Would you illumine this preached word so that we would be able to behold you? Would we hear your voice calling each and every one of us to new life in Christ? Speak to us now, O God. Make us genuine for your name's sake and for the sake of your kingdom. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So the path to becoming a genuine church is actually pretty similar to a company reforming the product on the inside to match the packaging on the outside. First, you need to know what's inside. Second, bring the inside into conformity with the outside. And finally, enjoy. That's the process that Jesus leads us through this morning. First, we need to know what's on the inside. We need to actually know and pay attention to what's happening on the inside of the church, on the inside even of our hearts. In other words, the first thing Jesus calls us to do this morning is to be honest about your spiritual health. We need to be honest about our spiritual health. The church in Sardis overpromised. They thought they were doing well, but Jesus has a completely different diagnosis of their situation. We hear it in verse 1. You think that you're alive, 
but you're actually dead. The label on the outside says Christian church, but inside there's no spiritual vitality at all. And we can follow that uh, as we listen more closely to Jesus' analysis. First, notice the word name within this passage. How does Jesus use the word name? Verse 1, he says that you have a reputation of being alive, or more literally translated in the original language, Jesus says, you have a name for being alive. And then in verse 4, Jesus says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis. Verse 5, for those names, I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. Indeed, I will confess his name before my father. So Jesus plays with this word name to bring the church in Sardis to a startling conclusion. Most of them were Christians in name only. They were Christians in name only. They said that they were Christians. They had a reputation, a name for being Christians, but only a few were genuine Christians. And that's the launching point for our honesty. Which name is more important to us? Our reputation or our relationship with God? Do we simply maintain a Christian reputation by doing Christian things? Or are we actively, honestly seeking to cultivate a living relationship with God? And that question becomes even more sobering when we notice the lack of conflict in this letter. Uh, Being a Christian, and hopefully you know this by now if you've sat through even more than a a couple of sermons in this Revelation series, being a Christian in the first century Roman Empire was ridiculously hard. The, The Roman Empire was absolutely infused with pagan rituals and emperor worship in everything that you might want to do. There were those pagan elements hanging off of everything. And so the everyday lives of Christians trying to be faithful were tinged constantly with spiritual conflict. Pretty much every other letter that we've read so far in Revelation shows forth that spiritual conflict. In all of these other cities, their faith brought them into conflict with all sorts of things. There's conflict with civil society, with rival religions, with false teachers, with pagan practices. To put it another way, there was constantly friction between their faith and and their context. Not so in Sardis. There's no conflict here that we read about in this letter. There's no friction. These Christians are completely comfortable in their surroundings. Jesus has nothing to praise them for in their steadfastness. They had thoroughly accommodated their faith to their city. So in our quest to align our internal spiritual health with our external confession, we need to ask, where have I accommodated? 
where should I be experiencing tension or conflict or friction between my life and the world around me, but I'm not? Where does my level of comfort maybe signal a capitulation to the culture? Where is my behavior so aligned to the values around me that they actually look identical? And then that brings us to the third thing for us to notice, the lack of specificity. For all of Jesus' hard critique, he's surprisingly general about the whole thing. Jesus says that their works are incomplete, but not which works specifically. Jesus says that there are only a few Christians there that have unsoiled garments, implying that the rest have spoiled their garments, and that's Bible speak for a corrupted moral life. But exactly what did they do wrong? Jesus doesn't say. Jesus says that he will judge them if they don't change, but he actually doesn't say how or what that would look like or when. He only says that he will, in verse 3, he will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Surely that was sobering for people living in a city that historically had been conquered by surprise attacks in war, not once, but twice. So this is Jesus' lawsuit against them for their false advertising. Their works are incomplete. They are morally compromised, and if they don't change, they'll be disciplined all of a sudden, but the concrete details are lacking. Why? Well, it's because Jesus is trying to force them to honest introspection, discernment, and prayer. That's, that's the pathway that Jesus is taking them on. Robert said it perfectly earlier, to confess is to agree. Jesus is working them through the process of agreeing with him through prayerful discernment. These questions that we're asking require prayerful consideration. Am I actually spiritually healthy. And this is present tense. This is not, did I used to be spiritually healthy? The question is, am I healthy now? Is the content on the inside the same as the name on the outside? And if not, what's the difference between the two? How would you answer those questions this morning? Some of you might have a, a little bit of a sensitive conscience. And so you're, you're prone to kind of totalizing your failures and taking this one sin and kind of extrapolating it out to see a, a large tendency. And so you think that you're just the worst. And so you see a sin in your life and you say, man, I am just like them. I must be spiritually dead. If that's you this morning, if you feel just kind of gripped in shame and guilt then be encouraged. Spiritual health does not mean spiritual perfection. The saints in Sardis, those saints who had unstained garments, who were called worthy to walk with Jesus, they weren't perfect, but they did 
have a living relationship with Christ through repentance and faith and obedience. That is spiritual health. Repentance, faith, obedience. And so if your conscience is pricked by your sin, that's actually a sign of life. And so take comfort. Even if you are really struggling, but you're sad about it, as verse 2 says, there is still something that remains that you can strengthen in faith. Now, maybe you hear those questions about spiritual health and and you feel actually great. Uh, Maybe you are filled with a sense of pride. How's my spiritual health? It's fantastic. Uh, Just look at my doctrine. Just look at my countercultural convictions. I haven't sold out. I haven't gone liberal like those other Christians. They're in decline. I'm not. Jesus must be judging them for their liberal theology and social practices, not us, certainly not me. If that's you this morning, be careful. Be careful. Doctrine. Countercultural stances do not automatically guarantee faithfulness. And we can see that by the reckoning that's happening in the evangelical church around us. Evangelical churches who taught the right things and yet internally protected abusive leaders instead of protecting vulnerable congregants because they had bought into the culture's view of a strong, powerful leader, the cult of personality and power. That is a serious, serious compromise. A reputation of faithfulness, even theological faithfulness, is not enough. So be careful. Make sure that you're not using all of these really good things to accidentally mask spiritual decay inside your life. Maybe you're not feeling shame. You're not feeling pride. Maybe you're, you're sitting here and you're just feeling indifferent. Sure, I sin. What's the big deal? Or Jesus used to be important to me, uh, but I've got other things to worry about. Uh, or, or even, I'm mainly here to make other people happy. If that's you, then wake up. Jesus says that twice in this passage. Wake up, wake up. And he is speaking to us, he's speaking to you. If you are indifferent about your sin, you are in danger. If there is no friction between your faith and the world around you, something's wrong. In fact, if this call to honesty makes you more uncomfortable than realizing that there's spiritual inconsistency in your life, then you need to ask, am I a Christian at all? Am I a Christian in name only? And of course, I don't ask that lightly. But this scripture is asking that. It is forcing us to ask that very question. We need to be honest. We need to know what's on the inside. And so put away shame and pride and indifference and simply ask God, what's my spiritual health? You may be surprised at what you find. 
The news may be sobering. It's barely existent. Or it's really struggling. The news might be more encouraging than you expect. You might take an honest look at your life and say, actually, I'm growing. I'm overcoming sin. I I see areas of sin I used to struggle with, but I don't anymore. Of course, I'm struggling in these other ways, but I am growing. Now, whatever the answer is for you, be honest. It's the first step toward being genuine. And then, once you know what's on the inside, you need to bring it into conformity with what's on the outside. We need to assess our spiritual health and then bring it into conformity with the name, the reputation, the external confession of faith. You need to recommit. But recommit to what? Do we need to double down on a long list of spiritual disciplines? Do we need some sort of a heavyweight spiritual rehabilitation plan to uh, bulk up our faith and bring it back to life? It may sound inspiring at first, but quickly we will find that is overwhelming. After I had knee surgery, the amount of work that I had to do to get from crutches to running again was intense. I had multiple sessions of physical therapy per week, multiple exercises at home. It took a ton of time. And so you might be wondering, is that what it takes? Is that what it takes to regain spiritual health? Thankfully, the answer is no. We're not recommitting to a a new routine. We are recommitting to a personal relationship. We are recommitting to Christ. Verse 3, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. That's it. That's all Jesus is calling us to this morning. This is not a new set of laws. Jesus is not saying, you failed, try harder. Jesus is saying, you're about to die, come to me and live. I'll make you alive. Jesus will bring our failing spiritual health back to life through three things. His word, his spirit, and his promises. Jesus brings us back to life with his word. Verse 3 again, remember then what you received and heard, which was the word of God, announcing salvation through grace. John 1.29, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the message that they heard, that Jesus is calling them back to. And it is that word of grace that's powerful enough to bring our nearly dead hearts back to life. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm convicted of sin, I get stubborn. And I refuse to apologize because I'm afraid. I'm afraid to admit I'm wrong. I'm afraid of what that'll do to my sense of self. And so in an effort to protect myself, 
Uh, I, I kind of stick in the behavior that I was doing. I can be in an argument and know that I'm wrong, but double down on it until the other person rescues the situation by just saying, hey, you know we're friends, right? You, you know that I still care about you no matter where this argument goes. You know I still love you, right? And it's that gracious word that then cracks my defenses. That's what the gospel does for us. It is really easy to repent, to admit that you've gone astray when you know that you've been forgiven by Christ and you're returning to a gracious and merciful Savior. Jesus uses his word to revive us. He also uses his spirit. Uh, Verse 1, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We met the seven spirits back in chapter 1. The seven spirits describes uh, the one Holy Spirit of God, Jesus' Holy Spirit, the comprehensive, complete, powerful, Holy Spirit. The seven stars represent the seven churches, and by putting the seven spirits together with the seven stars in this one image, Jesus is saying, I have the spiritual resources that you need. I I can give you the life and strength that you lack. As one scholar puts it, Christ has in his hands both the needy church and the life-giving spirit. He can bring the two together, not only to diagnose, but also to revive the dead. We we need the Holy Spirit if we are going to be and stay genuine. That gap between the external reputation and the internal health is, is just too big for us to close without the Spirit's power. Every time I go to the dentist, and I know that we have some dental care workers in here, so I'm sorry. Uh, every time I go to the dentist, I'm told I need to floss more. And I always say, I will, and I do, for about two weeks. And then I'm just kind of right back at it. This has been, you know, 11 years of the same dentist having this conversation with me. But here's the thing. It doesn't have to be like that for our spiritual health. It doesn't have to be like that when you're trying to cultivate new disciplines or new obedience or things like that because the Holy Spirit is who gives you the strength to be faithful. It's the Holy Spirit who allows you to be genuine. He keeps us steadfast. He gives us life. And finally, Jesus gives us life through his promises. Verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. That's exactly what the church in Sardis needed to hear. Again, the Sardis Christians were comfortable. If they started to take their faith seriously, it would only go downhill for them. 
They had a lot to lose. And so Jesus tells them, you have even more to gain with me. Heavenly citizenship, heavenly honor. In Greco-Roman society, every city kept a list of names in a book, and that was their citizenship list. If your name was in that book, then you were entitled to all of the benefits of citizenship in that city. And in the Roman Empire, that was a coveted thing, to have your name written in the citizenship book. Also, in Greco-Roman society, one of the highest honors that you could ever receive would be to hear your name read aloud in front of Caesar and his entourage saying that this person was a victorious conqueror. So Jesus takes those images of citizenship and honor and he applies them to his kingdom in Christ. Your name is written in God's heavenly book and is never going to be blotted out. You are a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, entitled to all of the benefits of God's holy kingdom. It's yours now and forevermore. And Jesus says that he will say your name in front of the Father, in the presence of God, and in the court of all the angels. Jesus is going to say about you, this one was faithful to the end. This one has conquered. Christ promises. Give them the courage to recommit to him. Again, this is not just a new list of laws. It's a call to come to Jesus in repentance and have him restore you. I can't emphasize enough how countercultural this is. In every other sphere of life, In every other religious system, the answer to our spiritual inconsistency is hide it and work harder. Don't let anybody know what's on the inside and work as hard as you can to make sure that the outside looks good. But that is just the recipe for burnout. Jesus offers us the much better way. Recommit to Christ and let him revive you. And then after Christ revives you, the final step is to enjoy it. Enjoy the Christian life. If we don't enjoy our new life in Christ, then we will quickly slip back into our old ways. And there are all kinds of things that we can do to enjoy the Christian life. We can enjoy fellowship with Christ through our Bible reading. We can experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit through prayer and through uh, singing together in worship. There's all kinds of things we can do to enjoy the Christian life. But today, I want to highlight two things that appear in this passage, robes and role models. This is what we can enjoy, robes and role models. In verses 4 through 5, Jesus references a handful of times the garments that his people wear. It's white robes. White robes represent purity, holiness, righteousness, and resurrection glory. 
Now, this, these white robes, it's a, a promise for the future. But the interesting thing is, in this passage, the saints seem to be wearing those future garments now. Their garments are unstained now. They are worthy now. They're walking with Christ now. The benefits of the future seem to be bleeding into the present. And we've already sung this earlier today. We are clothed in Christ's robes now. Those future white garments of righteousness, that is your spiritual clothing now in Christ. And that is worth enjoying when I was in seminary, one of the ways that I made extra money uh, was by helping out, kind of doing day jobs, landscaping, yard care. And one time, I contacted a family uh, who said that they needed help in their garden. I called the owner, I called the number that I had been given, and was told to call again the next morning. Uh, because uh, the person wasn't sure if they'd be ready in the morning. And so so I did that. The next day came, I dialed the same number that I had just talked to on the phone the day before, and I got a busy signal. If, If, for those of you who don't know what a busy signal is, it was like this little beep, beep, beep thing that said you can't get through. Uh, so it didn't go straight to voicemail. It was busy. I hung up. Uh, I um, called again a couple minutes later, same thing. It was a busy signal. So I called again, busy. I waited for a little bit longer, called again. It was still busy for hours. I I tried to make this phone call. It was busy the whole time. Eventually, I just gave up. So the next day, I called again. The call went through, and the homeowner was furious. Uh, I got all sorts of questions. Where were you? Why didn't you call? I was waiting for you. I I responded that the line was busy. And the response I got was, I was at home all day. I was not on the phone. You're not telling the truth. You're being very inconsiderate. And after that phone conversation, I felt that big. I was disappointed. I was angry. And I really, really wanted to defend myself. Uh, But then I remembered, I don't need to justify myself. Jesus has already justified me, and that's good enough. Uh, I I have a a word from a Savior saying that I am not guilty, uh, and that, that I was already, at that moment in time, dressed in Christ's robes of righteousness. And so I did not need to be haunted by those accusations. I did not need to take them personally. I could just simply say, I'm really sorry all this happened. And I could go on with my day. No matter what other people say about us, we already know what Jesus says about us. He says we're saints. He says that we are forgiven from our sins. And so we can rejoice in that. We can enjoy being clothed in robes of righteousness every single day. We can also enjoy our role models. Verse 4 talks about the faithful few in Sardis who gave the church hope that revival could happen. And we don't know their names, uh, 
but I bet the church knew who they were talking about. You know, that faithful person who's just quiet and you see him in the fellowship hall ministering to someone else. The, the faithful saint who uh, reads the Bible consistently, who has a gentle word to say in all situations. The, the person who's suffered a lot and yet won't say a bad word about God. Yet yeah, they were thinking about those people. And this was an opportunity to celebrate the role models, to celebrate their faithfulness and be encouraged by it as they enjoyed their life together. We can do the same we can enjoy the role models that we have in Christ because none of us got where we are without a role model. And so I want you to think for, for a minute about a few names that you know. Who are the names of the godly brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers who have shaped your faith? And then celebrate that. Celebrate their example in your life. Thank God for the people that he's placed in your life to show you examples of genuine faith. And, and then maybe tell them. I bet that encouragement would be sweet. You can say, I, I really like how you pray. I, I really appreciate how you parent with patience. Your steadfastness and pain and disappointment inspires me. I love how you engage your neighbors. These are just a few of the ways that we can enjoy the Christian life now. And the more we enjoy it, the more we'll want to keep it. The more we'll want to keep it up to keep being faithful. And before you know it, gospel character has infused the whole church, making the outward confession of faith matched with a genuine spiritual health on the inside, and that is something to savor. Genuine things are, are delightful. They're, they're delicious. Back in St. Louis, we lived just down the road from Steak and Shake, uh, and I would I, try on a weekly basis to go get a chocolate milkshake from Steak and Shake, <clears throat> and after a few years, uh, the store put up a really puzzling sign. It said, enjoy our shakes now made with real ice cream. <laughs> Which was weird, because I thought I'd been drinking real ice cream the whole time. Uh, so what was I drinking before? I'm not sure, but I'll tell you this, that change was great. Those milkshakes were undeniably better. When the content inside matches the name outside, it's a delight. And that can be true for us as Christians, as a church. And so be honest, recommit to Christ, and enjoy the Christian life so that we can continue becoming a genuine church for Jesus' glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a message that is ultimately kind, even though it, it, it hits hard. And so I, we pray now that through your spirit, you would revive us. Thank you that you're not calling us to uh, a, a boot camp. You're calling us uh, in repentance back to yourself. 
And we pray that you would help us to enjoy the riches that are ours in Christ. We ask that you would be so present with us that we would find you absolutely delightful, uh, that we would find uh, the, the things that the world offers us uh, to be so unsatisfying compared to you. Make us consistent. Give us authentic faith, genuine faith, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.